be reading Psalms 18, 1 through 3, and 27 through 33. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? It is God whose arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. And the whole church said? Man. I don't know about you, but I, did anybody at home when we sang, Come let us sing for joy of the Lord, let us shout aloud? I don't know if you could hear it in here, but there were a couple of shouts to God. Um, and maybe you remember from camp. And if we don't do the shout to the Lord and just say, Woo! Then we've missed a little bit of something. I actually came by that naturally. I have to tell you about a really great influence on my life. My uncle, my mother's sister's husband... Kay and Ann were sisters, and Kay married Gary, Gary Tolliver. Some of you may have bumped into him. He spent a lot of time over in Friendswood, either as the minister at the church there or also running a counselor, counseling center and being a counselor. But very early in his career, while I was still in college, he, he had kind of already gotten on board. And this is long before lots of people starting about started talking about worship renewal and things like that. But he was discovering what it was to be someone who worshipped the Lord. And, uh, and for Gary, who grew up kind of wanting to be a cowboy, uh, always rode horses. In fact, uh, basically the end of his good health was getting thrown from a horse and having some difficulties that never really he never recovered from from that. But I, my guess is that if he'd have chosen any way to, to end his vitality, it would be riding a horse because that's what he loved to do. So Gary's not the kind of guy who you say, look at and say, well, he's just kind of at church to, to kind of punch his ticket. He's just singing the songs to make sure he checks off the box. Because he, he was a rough and tumble kind of guy. That was the way he was raised and what he wanted to be. But he discovered a great source of strength and joy in worshiping God. And I remember him talking about worship being this opportunity to kind of lose ourselves for a moment in that relationship with God and our trust with God. And so every once in a while, quite literally, no matter what song was going on, it didn't have to be Come, uh, come Let Us Sing, didn't have to be Shout Hallelujah, didn't have to be a number of those songs. You'd just, just hear Gary, just the Spirit would well up in him, this, the strength of the Lord, the joy of the Lord would just kind of well up in him, and you'd just hear this, whoo! Like that. And, and I can really remember the last days of his life when, when the ability to say, whew, was no longer a physical thing. But you could see him, even in some frailty, you could see his, 
his, his body kind of tense up, and you knew that what he wanted to come out with was that. And, and whoo, by the way, is just another translation for hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Gary was one of those people who set an example of what it was to fully trust in God. To decide that, that life was going to be about pleasing God. That life was going to be about trusting God completely. I don't really know where he came up with it. But he, at some point, he spent a time, time in Denton. And uh, we believe this is the source of where the song came from. We're not sure if he kind of commissioned it. That he found those words from Psalm 28. I can, jump, I can advance on a troop. I can leap over a wall. But uh, the song went a little bit like this. I'm leaving out some of the parts. I'm just going to hit the highlights because I can't sing it all that terribly well. And it's one of those songs you kind of learned by ear as opposed to having a bunch of notes around it. I can advance on a troop, leap over a wall. And then it always had a hallelujah. And there were some other words in there. But th those are the first ones I remember. But it always had this big Oh, hallelujah. And talking to his children, Gary passed away earlier this year. And as we prepared for his uh, celebration of his life, for his funeral, uh, his kids, we have to sing that song because it represents who he was so much. And, and then, of course, it was the search was on to find out if anybody had any music so that we could all sing it together. But what everyone remembered about the song, I can advance on a troop. Leap over a wall, hallelujah. And then he would stop. And it would be, oh, hallelujah. And it didn't matter how long the note was marked for, right? Because Gary was going to hold out, oh. And if you, by the way, I was at Friendswood Church one time when he led it. And the church didn't oh quite well enough. And he had him stop and do it all over again because it was kind of his theme song. Uh, maybe it was his theme song, and, and if you've ever noticed that I kind of attack the, the, the podium when I come up here, uh, I think one time I fell on the way up, it's in the 12 years of being here, uh, but he always had that leap up on, because he was anxious to talk about the Word of God, anxious to talk about the faith that we have in God and the faith that we have in Jesus, and I was blessed by that to a great extent. Psalm 18 is attributed directly to David. And by the way, that's not an accident. When we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22, what we see is Psalm 18 quoted in its entirety. Would, I, I'm not going to argue about whether 2 Samuel quoted the psalm or the psalm quotes 2 Samuel. It's irrelevant because it is almost a word-for-word -word mirror. It comes from David. And what we know about David is that Paul, when he is preaching kind of his first gospel sermon, they've gone on out on that first missionary journey, and we track where they've gone, but then he gets to Pisidian Antioch, and he sets up to preach a sermon. And I think what Luke does for us there in chapter 13 is kind of represents an exemplar of what Paul's gospel preaching was about. Now, you're right. When he gets to Athens and he gets on Mars Hill, we, we have a slightly different sermon. It's shaped a little differently, probably because there he's not speaking to Jews. He's not in the synagogue or those who feared God, those, those Gentiles who had begun to observe the Jewish um, worship. 
But Paul says, as he builds this understanding of what God's relationship with his people was like, he says of David, David is one, is a man after God's own heart. In fact, what he does is he quotes God. He says, God says, this is a man after God's own heart. 2 Samuel chapter 22, again, parallel to Psalm 18, is a summary. You have chapter 21 just before it, and you have the last of David's military battles. There are still wars that go on, but it is the last of his, where he is personally involved as a warrior. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I read the text of 1 and 2 Samuel, David is not the general who's sitting at the back and saying, sick them guys. David is the guy who just exactly like the psalm says, is the point of the spear when they advance on a troop. And when it came time to get over the wall against the, the enemy that you were going, the first one over the wall, anybody want to anybody wanna question or think about this? David was the first over the wall. I'm convinced of it. David quits fighting military battles. His officers say, we need you to stay home now. 21 will kind of summarize some battles where the Philistines are finally completely defeated. And if you remember, the first military battle that David fights was defeating the great Philistine, Goliath. Actually, a, a brother or a cousin of, 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 a, of Goliath is mentioned in chapter 21. And that while chapter 23 and 24 will kind of summarize the men that David surrounded himself with, it will number the troops and, and make some other kind of wrap up his reign as king. Chapter 22 in many ways is kind of that, that moment. And there will be one more statement that, that will be recorded, David's final word, but this is the essence of who God, David is. He wants to say, this isn't about David being a mighty warrior. This is about God being a mighty warrior. This isn't about David being somebody who's full of strength. This is about David depending on a God who was full of strength. This is about David saying that the best times and the best things that I ever did were when I depended, depended completely on God. And, and the text is never one to pull punches on David. When David fails, it's because David takes things into his own hands. And he sees, I'm, I'm going to do the things for myself that I think God should do for me, maybe. Maybe you and I can relate to that kind of thinking. As opposed to fully relying on God, we sometimes kind of put ourselves in that place of saying, you know, no, I think. I know what's best. But what we can know about David, not only that he was a great warrior, not only that he, and this is so unique about David, David was able to surround himself with the greatest warriors of that time. When you read those stories of David's mighty men, you recognize, what are these guys doing being loyal to little pipsqueak David? Well, at least part of it was they saw the Lord working in his life. They saw what it was to trust completely in a God who always came to David's aid. By the way, even when David messed up, God never left him. And he depended on God to do that. The Psalms 
so often reflects David's efforts to say, God, I need you. And, and sometimes we may think, well, why am I praying to God that I need him? Doesn't God know that I need him? Haven't I prayed this prayer before, whether it was this situation or some other situation? Well, if you read the Psalms, you're going to hear David over and over and over again say, God, I need you. And that isn't the idea that David doesn't know that God is there to help him. It is the idea that David knows that when I'm in a difficult situation, when I'm in trouble, when my life is at risk, there is one person, one person that I'm going to reach out to. Just like the song we sang just a minute ago. You're good when, when there's no good left in me. You're true when there's no truth left in me. When there's nothing left in me, I, I'm going to depend on you. And I'm going to go running into your arms. And that's exactly what David does over and over and over again. I bring to you Psalm 28. It's just an exemplar of what it was that David was always writing about. Read along with me there on the screen. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. The Lord is the strength, not only of me, but the Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Be sure there's a double meaning with that anointed one. Not only David as the anointed one, but Israel as the anointed people. Not only Jesus as the anointed one that God rescues from the death, through the resurrection, but we as his anointed people. The Lord is the strength of his people, the fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. The Lord is my strength. My heart trusts in him. And because of that great trust, and because of my great joy in him, there is strength that is not of myself, but strength that is of God. You know, we've been in this series about the joy of the Lord. And, and again, the idea that the joy of the Lord sometimes get confused with, or we confuse the joy of the Lord with the idea that God's going to send me all these happy, joyful things. And the joy of the Lord isn't about all the happy, joyful things. The joy of the Lord is that we find our life so centered, so trusting in God, that that which brings joy to His heart is what our life is about. You say, right now, life has a, a few more struggles than I, I really want to have to deal with. But when we deal with the struggles of this moment in a way that reflects our love for God and our trust in Him, they become moments of joy. Not because it's easy, not because it's this momentary, earthly, temporary celebration, but because God's heart leaps when we reach out to our neighbors. God's heart leaps when we decide that you know, some of the boundaries that maybe we've put around ourselves, we want to tear those boundaries down. We want loving relationships with every single person that God puts around us. Maybe you're one of those people who are having some struggles financially because of the pandemic and the economic 
oppression that's come on us through this process. And yet, you hold to God. You trust that He's going to care for you. And even in that financial distress, and possibly even in that financial poverty, there is joy because your life is trusting and focusing on God. A joy that may not have been discovered if the financial difficulty didn't come. And a strength that comes through that trust and finding our joy in what brings joy to the Lord, finding our joy in the Lord, it gives us a strength that we didn't know we could have. The question is always, of course, when things in our life turn, God comes to our rescue, God does what he does for David, do we then start to begin to think, ah, well, look at how God has set me up. I guess I can do it myself. This strength is my own. This joy is my own. Or I want to make the joys my own rather than God's. And that is where we fail. And we learn the lesson that David learned over and over again. There is no strength in me that is not the Lord's. There is no joy in me, no real joy, no everlasting, no eternal joy in me that is not the Lord's. And so I will trust him above all others. He invites you to trust him. Again, it's been a little bit of a theme through these, this set of sermons that we, we look at and we transition to this, this supper. And I encourage you to get your elements available, your bread, your cup, whatever they may be comprised of, and have them ready. We do, and it is appropriate that we would remember the cross. But we're never called on to remember the cross that, we don't also, that we're not also called on to remember the resurrection. We remember the cross because of what it won for us. We remember the cross because we know when we trust in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, we have God's strength in us and we are called to celebrate. When you read historically about the way the church celebrated the Lord's Supper, you discovered that it took several hundred years for it to become this somber, isolated kind of event that had more to do with sort of sacrificial processes than it had to do with a meal together where God sits or Jesus sits or the, at the head of the table and says, Come, I've prepared the banquet for you. Partake of all that I have to offer. You know, formal dinners seem to have kind of an etiquette to them. You know, we're, we're only supposed to behave certain ways. We're supposed to sit in our seat straight. We're, we're not supposed to slurp our soup when we drink it. We're supposed to be sure. And, and I have this drinking problem. I don't know if any of you have this drinking problem. But if there's ice in the glass, I will figure out a way to be sipping my tea or water or whatever it is. And the ice will all decide to come to my mouth. And, it, and you know, and that's fine if you're in, in Whataburger. It's fine if I'm sitting at home. When you're at a dinner party, you don't need to have that kind of drinking problem. When I sit down at the banquet that God is going to prepare in the eternity, in the new creation that he has for me, it's going to be really hard for me to sit there with all my etiquette because what I'm going to want to do is climb right over the table and jump into his arms. Because the joy in my heart won't stop because the woo 
will be fulfilled because I'll be seeing him face to face. And so can you. As we transition to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to read the words from Philippians chapter 1. And Paul puts in such powerful ways what it is to live for God and to die as gain. I like the wording in the message partly because it's a, a little disorienting. You haven't heard it said this way as commonly. As soon as we're done with the reading, we'll sing a song and then we'll partake of those elements together. We will celebrate the supper that the Lord has invited us to. Paul's words from Philippians chapter 1. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. And so, the worse it goes for me, the better, they think, for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. And I'm going to keep that celebration going because I know how it's going to turn out. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything He wants to do and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known. Regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life. I can't lose. Don't you just want to say, whoop! As long as I'm alive in the body, there is good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know what I'd choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you're going through, I'm sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around a while, companion to you, as your growth and joy in the life of trusting God continues. In this life of trusting God continues, you can start looking forward to a great reunion when I come to visit you again. We'll be praising Christ and enjoying each other. I'm going to take just a moment to mention some of our prayer requests. Again, I want to point you to our YouTube channel, to the midweek update on Thursday. I'll not re be repeating uh, any of those details uh, we are really thankful that Ron White is completely free of COVID. The county has proclaimed him healthy. We believe that Brian Moore, has Brian gotten his results back? Not yet, but we're anticipating good results from his follow-up test after his two weeks of quarantine. 
We do need to lift up Barbara Greenway, who we've been told has, has been diagnosed with COVID. And again, she's in Country Village. We pray for her. We're really thankful that Nell Brown is back home and seems to be doing well uh, after a long week of, of doctors and, and being transported all the way up to the medical center. We're glad she's home and doing well. We're asking you to continue to pray for Sandra Mullins, although she's home and resting. Uh, she's waiting for that valve surgery and, and just needs our prayers. Um, and Ronnie asked us specifically to pray for her. And also Mary Lou Leon asked us to pray for her surgery coming up on I believe tomorrow is her surgery for skin cancer. We also want to mention uh, the family of Pat, Pat Winkleman, the sister of Juana Cox. Uh, Juana had 12 siblings, and this is the next to the last one. So there's only one left, and, and Harold made us aware that she passed last Sunday. So let's keep that entire family in our prayers as well. Thank you for continuing to pray all summer for Ozzy and Taylor. We want to ask you to be praying specifically for Hope House and what's going on in Porto Alegre with um, Lindsay and her mission there. And again, we always ask you, in, or we've been asking you all month to, to be praying for the Impact Church and their work as well. You know, it's kind of interesting, this, this idea of, of I can advance on a troop and leap over a wall sounds very much the idea of Father God... I want to put it all in your hands. I'm jumping in. I, I'm, I'm getting to that point like Callie did. I'm going to lean out here and, and, and either I'm going to fall or you're going to catch me. I'm not going to leave anything in reserve. It's kind of amazing the way the waters of baptism symbolize that so powerfully. There's, there's, there's not anything left of me that is not going to get wet because I'm going to give it all to God. And the reality is that through Jesus Christ, whatever we give to God, He redeems and blesses and fills. If you're looking for, for help in the journey of giving it all to God, if you're looking to start that relationship, if you're looking for help and saying, I've, I've got these things that are getting in my way and I want people to pray for me, I, I want to encourage you to reach out to different friends, send a text to somebody, ask them to pray for you, call them on FaceTime. If you want to keep it more confidential and you'd, you'd like for someone at the church to follow up with you, then, then send a text to 979-217-3300 and someone will follow up with you. We ask you, leap into his arms because there are no arms that are as dependable as his.